The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. I'm inside Old Trafford after Manchester United dispatched FC Sheriff in the Europa League to qualify for the knockout stages, as if it was ever in doubt, of course. They've now got a challenge on to top the group in the final match away to La Real. I didn't say Sociedad because Andy Mitten would correct me. Andy Mitten is here. He's in Barcelona on the podcast. Cal Mitten is also here. He's in Manchester on the podcast, but not at Old Trafford. Um, we're going to talk about the match tonight. We're going to talk about Cristiano Ronaldo's return. Uh, David De Gea's future. There's an update from Paul Ballas, who's been writing about it on The Athletic. We'll also preview the match against West Ham this weekend. But Carl, why aren't you here, mate? Uh, You're only a mile down the road. Well, first of all, thank you for uh, calling me Carl Mitten and, and ratifying Andy's adoption did of I me. Did I Carl Mitten? You did. You did indeed. Uh, oh, I couldn't make it, unfortunately, uh, as, uh, yeah, I, I had a little uh, minor medical emergency, but all good. I'll be here on su- I'll be there on Sunday. I'll, uh, do you want candy kittens or jelly babies? I just want to get your surname correct, to be fair. <laughs> You're all right, lad. You're all right. I know you've not been on for a while, but I've not forgotten it, I promise. It's all good. It's all good, mate. Sorry, Carl Anka. <laughs> yes. Um, Andy Anka, how you doing? You okay? Um, what did you make of tonight then? Cristiano Ronaldo being back in the starting line, it was pretty much the talking point here before the game. What did you think? I can get my cousin Carl Mitten to come on the podcast if you want. In fact, he sits in the main stand at Old Trafford and usually comes up to me where you're sat now after the Manchester United have won a big game. And I'm like working or writing and he goes like this, <laughs> yes! And then he takes a picture of me and he zooms in and he sends me a picture of myself working in the press box. So, hello Carl, if you're listening to that. And to Carl Anker, obviously, who's on this one. What did I make of it? Uh, I thought it was vital that Manchester United won the game. What about Ronaldo being back in the team, though, straight away? Well, we spoke about it Monday, didn't we? I said I thought it would happen on Monday. And and that did happen. And on Tuesday and Wednesday, um, I, I think that Eric Ten Hag has handled the situation really well. He would rather the situation not have happened. I think Cristiano accepts that he was in the wrong as I said on Monday's podcast, I still think he's got something to offer if he stays and he, he offered that tonight. I think it was a the right thing for him to start. He looked quite desperate at times to score. Uh, I'm glad that he did. Um, the reaction from Manchester United fans has been pretty mixed and fans can change the tune. I think most fans didn't like what he did last week, but if you're going to score goals, then fans are going to get behind you. And if he's made a mistake, well, he won't be the first human to to do that. So, yeah, I think it was a a, a good night. Um, Sheriff's manager resigned two days ago. So they came into the game in a, a pretty uncertain place. They lost for the first time domestically in the league at the weekend, which was a big shock, actually, because they usually win all the time. And they defended with, uh, what, 4-5-1. But at times it was like... 9-1 and it was always going to be like that it was going to be a game where Manchester United it's good practice because United will come up against teams who, who who defend like that all season and I was more encouraged at the gaps that United found Eric Ten Hag said he wanted his team to score early got a goal in the first half so that would have done you didn't want a repeat of the Ammonia game where 
pressure and attention built and built and built. I've got that last um, late goal. And it was vital that United won because to win this group, and I think it's would be better if Manchester United can win this group, um, we needed to win because there's a game next week in San Sebastian against Real Sociedad and Manchester United need to win that game by more than the one goal that the, the backs team won at Old Trafford. And I think that United are capable of doing that. Traditionally, the club's record is quite poor in Spain and I know that um, Real Sociedad are having a decent season. Won at Old Trafford, disputed penalty, weird match. I think that Manchester United are capable of going there in front of a full house, 39,000, and getting the result to top the group. It would be difficult, but I think Manchester United are capable of it. Yeah, just going back to Ronaldo, Carl, if we can, uh, there was some debate in the press box at the start of the match about whether there were boos or sues or sues for, for Cristiano when he walked out. But certainly when he scored the goal, and even before that, when he missed one of the chances, there was quite a big reaction from the Stretford end towards him. Uh, a warm ovation is, is how I'd probably describe it. There's probably a few United fans not quite sure exactly how they should act, really. It's a bit panto now, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, we described it on, I said on pre-season that, I mean, you get the sort of heavy bass boos from the slightly older Manchester United fan and then the cheers tend to be a couple of octaves higher indicating they are of uh, the fan that still is going to, to school, shall we say. When Ronaldo did score, it was quite audible via the television. There were a lot of fans going sue, wanting him to do that celebration. And now he's you know, doing this old man napping thing. Well, the closer he got to the corner, I thought he was just going to run straight down the tunnel, which I think actually would have been the only way to celebrate his first goal post-Tottenham, really. He is very good at making sure the conversation headlines and television cameras will remain on him, regardless of whether or not he's playing or what his form is, I think. For a large part of that game, it was quite difficult to watch. You know, the same problems with Ronaldo that we said before. He hasn't got that burst of speed anymore. He's not able to get shots off in the same way he used to. Uh, and when he drops deep, it actually harms the side more than helps it. I will say, though, the goal he did score is a really good demonstration of what he can still offer, which is he's really good in the air. His, his movement for that cross from Bruno Fernandes, he, he signaled for that cross to at least twice. Uh, that header was very good. And also, you know, he, he does that second movement. You don't score... The better part of 800, you know, you don't score the better part of 800 goals without understanding that if the goalkeeper saves it, you need to be ready for the tap-in and it gets the tap-in there as well. If Ronaldo is going to keep playing football for Manchester United, I can't see him be the starting option in Premier League games because he can't, he doesn't have that burst. But I do see use of him in those Europa League games. And I think, yeah, it was, it was good for Ten Hag to give him a game here because these are the most viable games he can play against opposition of, of the likes of FC Sheriff, Ammonia, and I think, well, the last 20 minutes against Real Sociedad. Yeah, it could be important, couldn't it? Uh, certainly, especially when United need to win by two goals, as um, we've just been debating off air. I- I've had a great start tonight, haven't I? I've called you <laughs> Cal Mitten and then completely confused what United have to do away. I'm sure Ollie will like include it at the end of the podcast like he has done in recent weeks to stitch me up. Um, can we talk about Anthony, perhaps the only man who had a more embarrassing night than me? Um, what on earth? What on earth was that? I loved it. Oh, did you? Did um, you? Um, it's a meme forever you, now, basically. What did you make of it, Andy? I can see why people loved it. If if I was playing against him or managing against him, and I do play football and I've managed, 
I'll be honest, I would think prick. I think you showboat him. I really would. Uh, you know Andy's no, no, mad. Listen, I'm, I, I'm just going to say, you know Andy's really mad because he said prick, when normally he says knob. <laughs> <laughs> when Andy's joking annoyed, he says knob. If he's really annoyed, he'll say prick. So he's really annoyed here. I, I don't think the pass that actually came from it at the end was it was a good past so was it not the one that went straight out of play <laughs> yeah exactly exactly i think that anthony has had a good start to his time at manchester united i'm not massively bothered that he span around 360 360 what are we calling it by the way a, a, have we got a description of it the anthony spin i think is the best way to do it yeah okay that's what the kids will be doing on the playgrounds tomorrow won't they? i think the kids will actually love it I think kids like stuff like that, and I'm well aware that people can see this incident spin in different ways, and they're entitled to. They're entitled to have very different opinions to that. If this was against Liverpool and he'd lost the ball, I'd, I'd have a much stronger opinion, but he didn't. You know, It, it was a, a Europa League game against um, a, a weaker team, and there will be old... I saw Paul Scholes was very critical of it, for example... Uh, I wouldn't like it if I was in the game because I, I would I would find it disrespectful. Um, but I don't I don't think it's a huge deal. Carl, I I liked it. I think at a time where I've been quite worried about Jaden Sancho and Sancho's unwillingness to to try things and take on his man, the fact that Anthony has his tail up to the point where he can do something that ridiculous is good. Uh, I think the main problem is is the weight of the pass to Casemiro afterwards. I don't think that pass becomes available if Anthony immediately drives into the box. So um, ambitious idea, poor execution. Don't try that again for a couple of games, but I'm not, I'm not too angry about it. I, I want, I just, I really want United's wide men to be courageous, to really drive on their man, especially on the outside and get some chalk in their boots and to, to, to not be afraid and cut back inside. Uh, so Anthony seems like the player most likely to do that. I don't want to, yell at him or discourage that thing from him right now so yeah go on good for you to do a spin be very careful because the moment you do that the fullback is going to try and get a yellow card kicking you afterwards I think the fullback did say he was going to mark him really tightly so he, he put his pitch in before the game your point about stretching uh, the, the, the opponents wide is, is a good one I felt that Garnacho, when he went outside had more success than when he when he cut in on the other side mm -hmm. and it's difficult to break a team down when they are so defensive like that. And then the old, I know the Old Trafford pitch is a big one, but it was a good practice game tonight because people might mock Sheriff a little bit, Moldova, but they're actually a competent side. It's only 12 months ago that they went to the Bernabeu and beat Real Madrid. I know it's a much-changed side, but they do get players of a certain level of competence to reach this group anyway. So... It was worthwhile in that way. Another thing that really has impressed me, the huge crowds for the Europa League games. This 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 hasn't been the case before. You know, in that run to the 2017 final, there were seven home games and Manchester United only sold one of them out and that was the semi-final against Celta Vigo. What do you think is the difference? I, I think that the, the, there are other clubs enjoying surges of support. I think it's a number of factors. I think... That sort of post-COVID, we can go out and watch football. Um, there are discounted tickets available. Ticket prices have not gone up for a decade. I think that's a factor as well. You, it, it's more accessible to get tickets for this match. And more than anything, Manchester United are not in a bad place. 
I think people like the manager, they like the results, they, and there's a Ronaldo factor as well. We might be quite long in the tooth when we speak about Ronaldo, but again, the youngsters, I keep mentioning it, but they're entitled to their view as well. My friend Remo took his son to the match tonight and he said to me before, and is Ronaldo playing? I'm just asking on behalf of my son. And I know from my own daughter, it's more about Ronaldo than Manchester United. I have a different opinion to that, but he is absolutely huge. So add all of these different um, factors in and you're getting full crowds. Also, there was a big gap, 35 days without a game at Old Trafford. There's going to be another big gap with the World Cup. So see the show while it's on. People want the fix, don't they? Um, Viva Ronaldo was sung inside Old Trafford eventually during the second half. It wasn't initially. And playing on the left wing felt like in some ways a natural successor to Ronaldo, not because of the way that he played or the potential or anything like that, but Viva Garnacho had a real ring to it when it was ringing around Old Trafford in the FA Youth Cup final last season uh, when we recorded that fateful podcast outside, Andy, that I'm sure you remember. Um, but Garnacho was the bright spark here. For me, sat in the ground, it felt like he was the man of the match, to be honest, because he was the one that brought the excitement in the game. Maybe players were a bit more polished, maybe players had a bit more on the ball when they got into the positions that they needed to be in but he won fouls in the second half he took players on he stretched the game he ran in behind uh, he had a lot of enthusiasm there's a great moment when he got taken off he got a standing ovation inside Old Trafford on his full debut which will be something he'll remember forever and his brother it looked like uh, was stood up just over uh, to my left hand side in the director's box filming on his phone, uh, Garnacho coming off, which I'm sure is something he'll keep forever and show Alejandro as well. Um, just, just coincidentally, six graduates in the squad tonight for Manchester United. It's 85 years, I think, this week since that record began of them always having an academy graduate in every single competitive squad. It's a run that's now at 4,162 games. Absolutely remarkable. Carl, what did you make of Garnacho? The one sour note to his night was that Eric Ten Hag revealed that he'd been disappointed with his attitude um, at times here. He said in the press conference that this is what happens with young kids. They they have to grow. They have to understand what the demands are. There have been times when I've not been happy with him. He has to understand that every day he must fulfil the high standards that we expect. I think that's a really interesting quote from Ten Hag, not just about Garnacho, but also about how United have changed so much since Ten Hag's come in. I think you know any young player who was trying to come in in the in the final days of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and during the interim stint of Ralph Rangnick must have had a very disorganised system, uh, not necessarily knowing who who to talk to or whatnot. And Ten Hag has come in and he's made his demands very clear, and he talks about demands and he talks about standard all the time. And yeah, I can imagine it would have been very easy for a teenager to not understand that Ten Hag doesn't play games in terms of the game. I think he was very busy. There was a point in the first half where I went, you just keep giving it to him. I, I, again, I just want the wide players at Manchester United to just keep driving at their fullbacks. And he was doing that. And I think he very much, he looked as if he had license to do that. Ian, you said about running in behind. And I think that's one of the big things for all of the United players right now. Um, a lot of United play, attackers prefer the ball played in at feet and then they start dribbling. And that is fine when you've got one in your front four that does that. But when you've got three, then you start having a problem, especially when you're playing against those blo low blocks. So Garnacho running in behind, 
is a point of difference. I was actually surprised that he got a start over someone like Alanga, where Alanga's big strength is he he runs in behind rather than gets a defeat. But I think, yeah, Garnacho's definitely put himself in the conversation for, for getting minutes much in the same way Alanga does. So in, in those games where perhaps Shane and Sancho isn't running at his man, now you can you have an option of Alanga or Garnacho at this point in time. Yeah, why not go for the for the younger, slightly raw teenager who can you can go both ways. Really encouraged by by his performance. I've been speaking to quite a few people about him, and they all agree that he's got good attacking flair. That there's real potential. I think United fans saw that last season in in the Youth Cup, and his next challenge was to do that in the Under 19s Champions League. But that didn't happen because Manchester United didn't get in the Champions League. So, what's the next best thing? Well, playing in the first team. I thought it was a great opportunity for him. I'm told he's still got a lot to learn. He's only 18 years old and the fact that he's coming up against seasoned pros, good fullbacks, will test him for pace, for his work rate. I'm told concentration's an area that he can improve on. As for his attitude, I'd take uh, Eric Ten Hag's version there. He's a confident young lad. He's, his big pal has been Alvaro Fernandez, who is at Preston North End and doing really well there. Uh, but overall... If I was marking uh, Garnacho on tonight, it would be really good. It'd be an eight out of ten, and I just I think the big danger is that United fans get hype him up too much, and a bugbear of mine is where fans say throw the kids in. You can actually you can really damage a young career because a a young player can drown in. Maybe not against Sheriff at home, but the standards in the Premier League are so high. It can be really difficult for a young player. So let's take it up to this point. Really, really encouraging. Maybe we'll see a little bit of him against Aston Villa in the League Cup in a couple of weeks. Beyond that, um, I, I, I don't think we'll be seeing that much of him. Then again, look at the impact Elanga made last season. Ralph Rangnick picked him out right in that first couple of training sessions and he was vindicated in his decision to do that. Garnacho is an exciting player. Um, just be patient with him. One final point on tonight, quickly if we can, Carl. How weird was it that Harry Maguire got booed? It's it's confounding. I I honestly don't know why someone who even if you dislike Harry Maguire I don't understand what booing him achieves because surely you like Manchester United and Harry Maguire playing well makes Manchester United better or gives an additional option I think Maguire had a decent stint it was also interesting that he again played at right centre-back with, with Lindelof shifting over to the left yes which means Ten Hag is going to keep He's going to continue with this Harry Maguire now plays on the right-hand side and Maguire will have to adjust and really have to realign himself. Gives him more of a chance of playing alongside the centre-half. It looks like the clear first choice in Martinez now, the clear fit yep. first choice. Yep, I think if you look at the centre-back hierarchy, Martinez is number one, Rafael Varane's number two, then it's now a straight fight between Maguire and Lindelof for, for three in both, in both of those positions there. Lindelof was, again, really good. I think there's something to be said about the fact that for Lindelof has his flaws, but the man just keeps ticking regards of who you put next to him, which I think is quite nice. Uh, I also want to talk about Donny van der Beek. He played. He played a game of football. Donny van der Beek. 
who's actually fairly good as well. He looked bright. <laughs> He's playing like someone who went through the Ajax Academy again, which I enjoyed. They were He was making good runs, really good off-the-ball runs. He was waving his hand for the ball. He, he wasn't being timid. He does, he does that a lot, doesn't he? He's good at that. Which is good, because towards the end of his last stint before he went off on loan at Everton, he wasn't waving his arms for the ball. Uh, and then again at preseason, he wasn't waving his, his arms either. So the fact that he's now doing, you know, a bit like Dallow, which is, you know, doing a whole 360 windmill when he wants it, is good. He's making the correct runs. Some of those runs were also following the path of Cristiano Ronaldo, which will need some time to work under. But I think uh, if there is a favourable, let's say Manchester United get past Aston Villa in a League Cup, and then the game after that it is favourable, and let's say there's an opportunity to play Anthony Martial, Donny van der Beek and Jadon Sancho. That might be interesting. That's a lot of ifs. That's a lot of ifs, which again speaks to... <laughs> Doesn't take much to get you excited, Carl, does it? <laughs> just, a couple of wa- just wave your arm a bit. Get some chalk in your boots and wave your arm a bit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right, well, we look forward to that little uh, trio. Was it a trio quarter? Yeah, I, I can't remember trio, how many maybe. players you listed now. Yeah, um, we look forward to them playing together and I'm sure there'll be an in-depth article to follow on The Athletic. If you're not a subscriber, there's lots of great Manchester United coverage on there at the moment on The Athletic. You can pay just £1 a month for the first six months when you sign up now at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Okay, well, there's a fascinating article up on The Athletic at the moment as well on the future of Manchester United's goalkeeping department. Laurie Whitwell and Paul Ballas uh, have written that together. Now, Laurie is still in hiding after his absolute shocker of saying that Manchester should be referred to as Manny on the last podcast, which has had a huge backlash on social media, as you'd expect. Um, I, I don't want to add to that, um, but I do hope to see Laurie at some point in the future once he emerges from a hole wherever he is in Manny, hiding from everyone. Um, but I did get a chance earlier to speak to his co-author, Paul, uh, who refers to our great city as Manchester, of course, as a, well, what should we call him? He's an honorary Mancunian now. He's been here long enough and he's writing about our football players as well. Uh, there's an option that Manchester United have to extend David De Gea's contract, of course, by one year. His future is in question now more than ever, it seems. But Paul says that it might not be a foregone conclusion, that one-year contract extension. United has a big call to make right now because they have to decide if they trigger the extension that they have. But it's not as easy as it might seem because, as we know, De Gea is one of the top earners in this club. And I think that United wants to make this balance clear in terms of the money that they invest in salaries and the return that they have 
in the pitch, pro probably having in the hair one of the top earners in the squad is not what United like is looking for. And what we get from around the situation is that it doesn't look like the most likely option, maybe that United triggers that clause and maybe they can look for like a new contract just to give the hair like more years with less salary. And just kind of find an agreement in, into that because the club know and sources close to the players acknowledge that David De Gea wants to stay at United, is happy at the club and would like to extend yeah, his years here at the club. It's crazy really that a, a goalkeeper of David's standing or even a player of David's standing at a club like United is, is in question when he's played the amount of games that he's played. We're talking about a multiple player of the year winner. United fans almost got bored of him winning player of the yeah. year for a certain period. But it's the style of play that Eric Ten Hag wants to wants his team to play here that, that that's putting De Gea's position in, in maybe more question than ever. Have you seen any signs whatsoever that he can play Ten Hag's way from the start to the season, which was a disaster for, for David and the rest of the defence? Yeah, I think what we get is that, of course, De Gea is aware that the first two games weren't the best of, of his career at Man United, of, of course. But... I think that he's shown some willingness, uh, some positives in terms of um, being able to have the ball at his feet. Probably he's not the keeper that is most used to do that. There are keepers in the world that have been like playing in that modern way of understanding football. But yeah, now it's going to be like a game of balances. If Ten Hag feels that it's really important for him just to change the shape of his goalkeeper or if he prefers basically to invest the money that they will have on the next transfer window on a new goalkeeper um, which is a thing to be considered because basically Man United wants to reinforce several areas in the pitch and they will have to have a real thought about it if the goalkeeping area is like the main priority of they or they just basically decide to invest this kind of money to strikers or just to other areas let's see what they do yeah, you've written about it at length on The Athletic with Laurie. People can go and read that article at the moment. But if David De Gea reads it, he's going to be sick of the sight of Unai Simon, isn't he? Is yeah. it not enough to take his place for the Spanish national team? He has to be linked with Old Trafford as well. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I, I mean, I think it's yeah, it's going to be like a big call here for Manuel at the Forten Hag. Is um, he the most serious option, do you think, Unai Simon for United? I think that Diogo Costa, the Portuguese keeper, is also like a serious option. He's a keeper that is a starting right now for the Portuguese national team. He's one of the highest regarded young keepers in the world, I'd say. Really good with his footwork. Uh, Man United scouts have been like uh, following him quite closely in the recent weeks. And I think that Tunay Simon is not the easiest guy to take away from Athletic Bilbao because Bilbao is a team that doesn't really need to sell uh, because they have money. And they have difficulties to buy because all the signings and the players that they have have to follow like the criteria of being born or, or have like some uh, yeah, family ancestors uh, in, in Euskadi. So let's see what happens. But yeah, there's a big call. What we know for, for sure is that Eric Den Haag is going to be the one that makes the last call here for sure. That's an interesting point, an important point to make as well. I mean, even with the situation with Cristiano Ronaldo, again, another, another topic you've been writing about on The Athletic. Very clear here that Ten Hag is being empowered and it seems exactly the same with the goalkeeper shout as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, that that's the right call and the right path because if Ten Hag wants to install and wants to create 
a top football coach, as he says in the in the press conferences. I think that he has to be on top of the signings and he has to 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 decide how much it influences to the way to the style that he wants to impose here at Old Trafford and just make a decision. But yeah, for sure, it's one of those signings that it's it's probably not going to be like the most mediatic or or just the most followed thing in the world. But I think that. Those kind of areas are probably the ones that make a statement in the way that you want to manage a club and that you want to play football, basically. Just a quick word on Ronaldo. He's back in the team. He's back in on the pitch for Manchester yeah. United tonight. Hopefully he won't walk off before the, uh, the 90th minute. In terms of his future, again, you've been writing about him, like I said, in the article on Monday that you contributed to. There was a line in there about uh, Napoli, about Sporting Lisbon, two of the teams who have explored the option of, of signing Ronaldo. Do you see any situation in the remainder of the games before the World Cup, during the World Cup, in that January transfer window where one of those clubs decides, yes, we want him and, and that ends up happening? Or do you see him being here for the rest of the campaign? For now, I see it difficult to see a team. I, th I think it was uh, an executive from Napoli that last night or just on Tuesday night dismissed the option of, of signing Cristiano Ronaldo for Napoli. It's going quite well for them, to be fair. I don't yeah. think they quite <laughs> need him at the minute. Yeah, they? true. Um, but yeah, I think it's difficult to sign a player like Cristiano Ronaldo with what he involves in terms of like being important for the dressing room for the team and just like put him like in a squad that is already like assembled and that has been working for the first half of the season. It's going to be down to Cristiano basically, which are his motivations and how is his relationship with Ten Hag. I think that Ten Hag has been quite straight and quite honest with him. But maybe let's see what happens in the World Cup if his priorities change, if he's happy to accept the role or just to fight for the players as Ten Hag is just demanding him or he wants to try another challenge or, find, or just find a solution. I, I think that, yeah, just football and the game time and the World Cup possibly is going to dictate what Cristiano Ronaldo wants in the future. Uh, right, before we go any further into this, Andy, uh, as our resident Spaniard, you're an honorary Spaniard, just like Paul is an honorary Mancunian, Euskade um, uh, that Paul mentioned in relation to Athletic Club or Athletic Bilbao for our uh, English <laughs> listeners. Um, what's that? that? That's the the Basque word for the Basque country. I think we should also um, call Paul Catalan rather than Spanish. I think he would definitely <laughs> prefer that. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Basque country is um, an area of two and a half million people, population similar size as Greater Manchester. I watched Athletic Club play against Barcelona at the weekend, actually, with Unai Simon, the Spain goalkeeper in net. He conceded four goals, but sometimes you get these unusual results when you play for Athletic Club. Uh, but he's a very, very uh, good goalkeeper. But yeah, the Athletic Club only take players who are born or bred in Euskadi or the Basque country, if you want the English version. Yeah, that cleared it up. I mean, I think a lot of people know about Athletic Club's uh, setup. It's interesting that. Paul thinks that that makes it harder to get someone like Unai Simon. Of course, United have signed under Herrera from from uh, Bilbao in recent times. Um, in terms of the goalkeeping situation, Carl, it's a funny situation with De Gea, isn't it? And I spoke to Paul about it. Um, usually a player of his stature and his standing at a club wouldn't have these question marks on him. He'd sort of stay here until he wanted to leave or he wanted to retire and retire even. And that's something that David has, has spoken about as well. The idea of staying in Manchester for the rest of his career. But what Eric Ten Hag wants from his goalkeeper does put his situation more in question than ever, doesn't it? Oh yeah. 
I've, I've described it as holding a bomb and you don't know how long the fuse is. There will be a point where a very hard decision will have to be made about David Ayer's future. I think Ten Hag has done well to adjust and compromise on the style of football he wants in order to keep David De Gea as the number one. I think the fact that De Gea has played every Europa League game rather than Martin Dubravka speaks to just what Ten Hag is trying to do. But also, if Manchester United want to play Ten Hag style of football, which is dominant in possession, known for positional excellence, um, able to break down these deep blocks, you need to have someone better than what David Ayer is doing in terms of building from the back. Every time you look up a passing network of Manchester United, there is just a huge gap between the hair and the centre-backs. Some of this is is covered by the fact that Lissandro Martinez is amazing passing from deep. But it's a problem that needs to be resolved in eventually. Uh, and I think if, you know, in, in the article Paul's written with Laurie, it, it sounds as if Manchester United are leaning... There is an option necessarily to, to let the contract expire and then sign a new contract on lower wages to keep David Hale, which I think would be more preferable to the accountants and to the coaching team. I think he's David Hale has been a fantastic club servant. I can't really imagine him wanting to leave Manchester anymore. But him as a number one goalkeeper under Eric Tenag is only feasible for so long. This negotiation is going to be very different to last time, Andy, isn't it? Very different. David was in a really strong position last time and that's why he managed to negotiate that deal. He did change his agent, but I think he's the best paid goalkeeper in the world. Is he the best goalkeeper in the world? I don't think he is. At times he has been. He's going to break through the 500 appearances and go on and on and on. If he stays at Manchester United, uh, we're not back in 2015 where he actively wanted to go back to Madrid. I think he's he's settled and he's happy uh, with his family in Manchester. Um, United will do the due diligence. You've got Tony Coton, who's a goalkeeping coach. He's got a really good eye. He's the man responsible for Edwin van der Sar coming to the club more than anyone else. He knew, because he's on that circuit and plugged into it, that he might be tempted to leave Fulham and he ended up at Old Trafford. So Tony Coton is a good asset for Manchester United. United will look at other options, the B options, the C options, and not just with the goalkeeper. They'll do the same with several other positions. I know for a fact they will. And this is just normal in the process and this will be driven by conversations between uh, Eric Ten Hag, um, Stephen Brown and John Murta. And United will have a budget, United can pay top dollar, but David's probably overpaid at the moment. But then again, look at the fees for goalkeepers. When he negotiated that, Chelsea had just signed a, a Basque goalkeeper, actually Kepa, from Athletic Club for top, top money. Uh, to get a goalkeeper out or to get any player out of Athletic Club is difficult because they don't need the money because what are they going to spend it on? They're not allowed to sign players. Well, they're allowed to, but they choose not to sign players in the general market. They're a very, very wealthy club. And for for a player to leave Athletic Club, they've really got a push for that. And Herrera really, really pushed to go. And I knew him when he was... Got some lawyers in as well, <laughs> didn't he? I, I first went to see him when he was in Bilbao. And I knew he wanted to go to England. And it took time. The lawyers, as you say, turned up. Who were they? And never got to the bottom of that story. 
<laughs> and I remember going back to Bilbao a month after Andrew had gone to Manchester and uh, I interviewed the club president and some senior staff and I said, oh, Andrew, great, great, great. And they sort of just shook their head and went, very complicated young man because he basically forced his way out, which he was entitled to do. So that gives you a little insight into the politics at, at, at athletic clubs. It's worth pointing out that Kepa, Chelsea activated Kepa's release clause, clause even. So it wasn't necessarily that Athletic Bilbao wanted him to leave. They just went, well, okay, there you go. And that's that's why he became the world's most expensive goalkeeper. I am interested in the fact that the goalkeepers being linked to Manchester United are not from the Eredivisie and have no necessary links to Eric Ten Hag. Because when you look at the summer transfer window and how many players were Ajax, Ajax educated or had some sort of history in the Eredivisie, that read to me as Eric Ten Hag necessarily didn't have the right amount of eyeballs looking at world football and covering spaces that he didn't see. So the fact that it's covering a new reason that region that hasn't necessarily, Eric Ten Hag hasn't necessarily looked at too much, uh, indicates or hints at a subtle shift at where United are going. United are on top of the ball with scouting in terms of, of the, the goalkeepers. Good point Carl made about Dutch goalies. Fergie loved a Dutch goalie. He brought Edwin um, um, uh, Raymond van der Hauen as well as uh, Edwin van der Sar. And he had a contact in Holland who he trusted in terms of his judgment over goalkeepers. And he just liked Dutch goalkeepers. Scouting's moved on somewhat from then. It's, a lot of it is data-led. But David De Gea is not even Spain's goalkeeper. He's not played for Spain for two years it's now. fourth choice, isn't he? Again, it, it's it's very good that Ten Hag's finding a way to make it work, but I don't think it will work with David De Gea as the number one past a certain point. A new goalkeeper will have to be found. Um, Dean Henderson, while saving a lot of shots for Nottingham Forest, doesn't necessarily have the kicking that Ten Hag will want. The objective is to get a goalkeeper who can kick in the same way uh, the number one on the other side of town does. It's quite ironic that what what first attracted Manchester United to David De Gea when he was 17 years old, when Eric Steele watched him in a youth tournament, was his kicking, was the accuracy of his distribution. It's funny, isn't it? And you go 14 years on from that point and the things he's now getting criticised for... With the, That's the point of weakness. With, with, the, ...with the things he was supposed to be good at. Yeah, OK. Well, if you want to read more about David De Gea's situation and indeed the goalkeeping situation for Manchester United, Paul and Laurie's piece is up on The Athletic at the minute. There's loads of great stuff, like I said before, on there from Carl and Andy as well. And you can get ad-free versions of The Athletic's podcast too. And it's £1 a month for the first six months when you sign up at theathletic.com forward slash Pod. Ian, are you finding it difficult saying The Athletic after speaking so much about Athletic Bilbao? Because I am. <laughs> <laughs> I find my TH is hard at the best of times. I'm trying to hide my Yona status of saying Fuzz rather than Fuzz. Okay, let's talk about Manchester United's next match here at West Ham. We've not got long to wait. It's on Sunday. Tonight was probably an interesting warm-up, shall we say, uh, for the match, Carl, because I think the approach of West Ham, whilst their players are better, whilst their tactical setup is better, probably will be pretty similar, do you think? Yeah, I think West Ham's true strength is how their transitions. Jared Bowen is really good running into open space. They were, again... 
very good in the Europa in their Europa Conference League game today. Today, I'm going to call it today. Why not? Time is an illusion. You're allowed. <laughs> it's today as we're recording at 25 minutes past 11 p.m. Dedicated to the cause as usual. The interesting one for me is what to do with Jaden Sancho. He didn't feature today. If Eric Tanag decides to give him another run at left wing, he will be poorer for the presence of what seems to be United's best central midfield pivot, which is Eriksen Casemiro. Sancho needs players who can you know, drop into that left half space and give him one-touch football. The best person at doing that is Fred. But um, good Fred is good, and bad Fred is uh, um, not great, and West Ham will probably enjoy any touches that bad Fred gets. And we won't know if it's good Fred or bad Fred until the first five minutes at Old Trafford. Uh, I think one thing that was really apparent against FC Sheriff was Luke Shaw's impact. In the in those games where teams are going to drop deep and defend in numbers, Luke Shaw's ball progression is absolutely vital. For I mean, his cross with Marcus Rashford was fantastic. The, the connection he has with Marcus Rashford is really, really important for that attacking play as well. So it will be, I imagine Luke Shaw will start ahead of Tyrell Malassia, who is trying and is getting better at, at attacking, but it, it's very much... Sure is remains the number one attacking. Yeah, prospect. the victory for West Ham tonight uh, in the Conference League sort of continues their recovery, Andy, doesn't it? From what was a really difficult start to the season for them. Carl and I were, were on a program for MUTV this week where Carl summed it up perfectly. Really, David Moyes seems to be trying to make sense of trusting some of his new signings from the summer. Uh, Paqueta undoubtedly is a big miss for West Ham at the moment, but the likes of Skamaka coming in and Mikel Antonio being on the bench and just the transition that that West Ham have had in recent weeks. They've been pretty good, actually. This is going to be a tough game, isn't it? It will be tough. I I spoke to someone who's very close to West Ham um, on Wednesday. David Moyes? And No, (laughs) uh, but but it was about David Moyes. And I was quite surprised that the person said he needs to improve things. A lot of money was spent in the summer. So if you look at the league position, West Ham attempt, struggling to score goals. They've only scored 11 goals. Well, I think the win against Bournemouth took them from something like 16th up to 10th or 17th, 17th up to 10th. That's how tight the league is. Yeah, so they've got 14 points. So there is a six-point gap to Manchester United, for example, and they've played a game more. They've been far more impressive in Europe. I would expect a similar game to the ones when West Ham come to Old Trafford. Very, very hard to break down. Low scoring match. Similarities with the Newcastle game a couple of weeks ago when they're not a defend. They got a good result at Old Trafford last year in the Cup. David May, David Moyes is a, a, a competent manager, as we know, at West Ham. Uh, David May is a former Manchester United player. I've just mentioned him. <laughs> he was on that programme with me and Carl as well, actually. All-round all good character is David May. Do you, do you know what? I, I told Maisie this. I, I've never told him this before, but um, he lived on the same estate as me uh, when I was growing up. He's, he's a bit older than me, to be fair. He was in Manchester United's first team when I was knocking it about on Cherrywood on Furwood Park. But we used to purposely kick the ball over the fence into his mum and dad's garden so we could knock on the door. And they used to have like a big pile of autograph cards <laughs> next to the front door. And basically, before you'd even ask for your ball back, his mum or his dad had just hand out the autograph card instantly. Um, yeah, anyway. His dad was a policeman, so you were taking a bit of a risk there. Oh, really? I never knew that. Yeah, he was. <laughs> he was. 
th- th- there was a few infamous police officers. Uh, PC Cook was was on the beat at that point. He didn't want to mess with PC Cook. He had no idea about PC May. He could have been even worse, couldn't he? To be when, fair, when David May was a young apprentice at, at Blackburn Rovers, and he, he went on to win the league at, at Blackburn Rovers. He complained that the food in his digs wasn't that good and the landlady was really affronted by it and said, um, well, what's your problem? What sort of things do you want from me? He went, well, I just wouldn't mind, like, you know, fish. He said for the next two weeks, every single night, fish was just served up for him. He he, he watches Manchester United and he, he, he covers a lot of the games for MUTV. He's a great character. He's very popular lad. Is is David? That's definitely May. a word for him. Yeah, he's, he's a good character. Yeah. He's a great storyteller. He's a he's a good storyteller. He's, he's, he's still a surprisingly good five aside footballer as well, or he was about five years ago when I played against him. He absolutely ran the show. Anyway, we've digressed massively, haven't we? He's not playing on Sunday. I don't think West Ham <laughs> will be happy to know. Um, in terms of United's attack, Carl, you've been writing about it, um, and really, sort of the. The improvement here in recent times has been the defence, hasn't it? I think it's four clean sheets in a row for the team now after the, the shutout against Sheriff. Um, but the attack is still being worked out. Eric Ten Hag seems to suggest that he thinks it's still being worked out. And that's essentially what your article was about, exactly where the attack is for United at the moment. Yeah, I think it's shoots of green growth with Manchester United's attack right now. They've got 16 league goals, puts them... Ninth, I think, in, in, in for goals scored, uh, being outscored by Fulham, being outscored by Leicester City at the moment as well. The attack, part of this is, is down to injured players. So I think everyone listening is in agreement that the best number nine for United right now is Anti Martial. Uh, and we don't know when he's going to return, but things will kick on when he returns, I think, you know. Marcus Rashford will be better for Martial's appearance, as will Bruno Fernandes, as will Christian Eriksen, as will Jaden Sancho, as will Anthony. Just everyone will get better when there's a dynamic interchanging forward like that. I think also part of it is to do with the style of football Tenard wants to play, which is this will take time. It will take loads of automatisms. Uh, it will A player will get better in Man United the longer they play. And I think it's quite telling how much time uh, Ten Hag's given Anthony. It's just, I know you understand the system, so you're going in and you're going to play as much as possible, if only to set the tone. Um, one thing that really impressed me against Spurs was they had five minutes of, we spoke about before, about that five minutes of dominance. And that will keep happening. Where United, you know, Can United get longer than five minutes where they're just really turning the screw on an opponent? Against FC Sheriff, I think United were a bit wasteful. They had two, two or three long shots. Uh, and you go. You don't need to force it that way. You can just hold on to the ball in the final third and keep going there. Uh, and that will hopefully get better the longer someone like Eriksen plays next to Casemiro. I'm not sure if United's squad has enough goals in it right now to finish in the top four. I think the way Ten Hag is going about putting square pegs in slightly rounder holes and, and slightly shaving off to, so it becomes a rounder peg is quite impressive. I think United have got to beat West Ham. I think a draw will be will be very disappointing. Moyes is obviously a good manager, and then you know, Moyes used to manage at Real Sociedad, who, who are the next opponents. I think it was good that some of the more important players, at least in the eyes of the manager, came off at half-time or after an hour against FC Sheriff. And then it's into that Real Sociedad game. 
and then two games against Aston Villa, who are now managed by someone from the Basque Country, Unai Emery, another really smart um, manager. So we know about him, don't we? Oh yes, we do know about him. I w- That's going to be another lock to unpick, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, first home a, game in charge for him at Villa Park. We've timed that well. Yeah, it's pretty unfortunate that because he's he's a, he's a very shrewd manager, and he he feels like he's got a point to prove after what happened to him at, at Arsenal. His record across the board is fantastic, and I think he's a decent person as well. And I, I say that from going down to interview him a couple of times last season when he took Villarreal to the semi-finals of the Champions League. He was very complimentary about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as a manager, which. Not not a normal thing that I I hear. It doesn't sort of crop up, but I think he he came up against him in that champ um, Europa League final, which we're not going to discuss. So maybe he was just being magnanimous because he was the victor um, in that game. So lots of intriguing matches. But United are now seven games unbeaten. I think that's really encouraging. Um, and Eric Tenard keeps saying, "I'm not getting too carried away." I just think it's in a good place. The atmosphere's been decent. The crowds are up. They're getting overall pretty decent performances from a lot of players. You know, Casemiro settled in. Never perfect. We wish that Varane would be playing all the time, but there's good options. And I'm quite enjoying watching Manchester United at the moment. And if, if the team can finish strongly these final few games before the World Cup finals, then keep it going. We are approaching that stage where you almost get annoyed that the World Cup is going to break up any good vibes and momentum. Half a part of me is going, the World Cup was quite useful. It allows XYZ to recover from injury and get back and we can get better. But also part of me is going, hang on. The way United are attacking right now, they really look as if they can put four or five past the team in late November. And then you look at the calendar and go, ah, late November, they're not playing a game of football. That's quite annoying. Well, they might do. They, they might do, actually. I think that United will have to arrange games and will arrange games. Can't just go straight into Nottingham Forest on the 27th. There'll be games, but obviously they're not competitive games. And I, t- I totally take your point. And I felt the same when the Leeds and the Palace game um, were postponed. Manchester United were in quite a good run going into them. And then it was like a big gap and suddenly Manchester City away, bang, conceding six goals. We'll just have a load of pent-up excitement, won't we, for when that Nottingham Forest game comes around after the World Cup. It's time to say goodbye on Talk of the Devils. But before I do, I want to say a massive thank you to everyone who reacted to the uh, Manny stroke Yona chat uh, from the last podcast. If you've got absolutely no idea what I'm talking about, go back and listen to around the last sort of five minutes uh, of the podcast from earlier on in the week. Carl, just very, very, very quickly, where did you stand? Was it Manny in or Manny out? I'm sorry, I referred to it as Manny too. Bugsy, Mal- oh my Bugsy Malone called it Manny. So before I moved up, so back in 2019, in a past life where I wasn't a United reporter, I referred to it as I'm, cu- I'm traveling up to Manny to my friend who lives in Salford. And he's gone, you what? Uh, uh, well, Bugsy Malone does it and he lives in, in Manchester. And I, you know, before I moved up in 2020, I, I had it slowly told to me that actually I couldn't refer to it as Manny. Yeah. But everyone on the age of 25, Loads of people on the age of 25 I'm talking to. Yeah, you can call it Manny. Fair enough. Um, just so you know, um, Andy said that you're going to appear in front of the Hague and Kelbo on Twitter <laughs> said that anyone who refers to Manchester as Manny should be fired out of a cannon into the River Irwell. So you've got that to look forward fine, to, Carl. Fine. But I'm going to say thank you. 
Uh, time has run out. Um, thank you very much for being with us, Andy. Thank you very much for being with us, Carl, as well. Thank you for listening at home. Uh, we'll see you on the next one after West Ham this weekend. If Carl's not been fired out of a cannon, that is. Bye-bye. Athletic.